Strachan and Bell together. There's Cooper breaking through. A chance now. This will be the fourth ball for Aberdeen. And Cooper puts it in with both Rangers running. Well, suddenly it's become a rout. Of course, when things are going wrong against you, you don't get the breaks of the ball. Cooper in with Stewart. He didn't really know where the ball was, but he got the break. And as you say, it's a schoolboy's dream being able to take your time. Knowing that really, all you've got to do is crack it into the back of the net. And welcome to the latest episode of the Here We Go podcast. Well, there's only one topic going to be on the schedule tonight. Um, and I think you can all out there, you can all guess what that is. Um, drawing the shortest of short straws to help us pick over the bleeding, festering scab that is Darvel last night is unfortunately for him is Lewis Walker. How are you, Lewis? Um, being better, delighted to be here. Of course, uh, thanks for having me. We're delighted to have delighted to have you back. I mean, it's nuts. It can't it can't all be wins. I mean, not that we've had any of those to discuss really this season, have we, Richard? Been a few. I it's mean, been a few. Know. No, no glorious moments. Let's say it's been um, some highs, but quite a few epic lows. So anyway, let's get into it, Richard. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? We're, we're actually where do we start? You know, I've got stuff written down here, Richard. But you know what? I honestly, I honestly, Richard, feel like just saying to you, you were at the game last night. I know you were three and a half hours in the car getting home. You must have, you must have been scribbling stuff down on the way home. I wouldn't go that far. No, I was. I spent a long part of my journey home actually blocking Huns on Twitter, which is quite therapeutic, as we said. We don't tend to block anyone apart from them. It's Insta block if they appear in our feed. So, so yeah, that was fairly therapeutic. That took my mind off things for quite a bit. I tell you what, you know when I know that we're officially in crisis mode, full-on cracked club crests in the papers and things. It's when a heap of requests come in for us to give the, the fans' view of the Dons on mainstream shows. I mean, obviously, as long-term listeners will know, one of our friending principles is we don't want to be latter-day Neil McDougalls and uh, feature on the back of the P&J every second day. Uh, so it was a polite no to all of that. And frankly, going through that trauma once tonight is more than enough for me. So, yeah, last night... Uh, Darville, we town, basically just one street and some houses off it, one bar, all was going well. They'd obviously done a lot of work in the ground to get it ready. You know, folk were talking about it being a quagmire in a way end. It wasn't anything like that at all. It was just, you know, there were some puddles and some stuff, but it was a good view. Although I've got to say that was with seven, eight hundred of us there. If it had been the, the full complement that they wanted to sell us, which is what, 1,800 tickets, that would have been an entirely different experience. I kind of wish it hadn't been such a good view, obviously, from what I had to witness. Everything up to kickoff was looking good. Uh, happy to be there, happy to take another ground off, happy to be there, a bit of history. I didn't quite realise just how big a bit of history it would be a couple of hours later. Well, well quite, yeah. Lewis, we'll, we'll get straight to, the, straight to the game here. We'll look at this, um, our start in 11. Aberdeen are a professional football club and have been for many, many, many years. Any combination 
foundation of the of the squad of the professional squad should be should have enough and should be enough to cope against a team five tiers below us, fifty odd spaces. But when you're woefully out of form, as we are, let's not forget that we lost five nil a few days before, and we went out the cup the weekend before as well. Surely the manager goes with his best possible eleven, and there's no questions asked. I don't entirely agree, to be honest. I obviously agree that any combination of 11 that we put out should have been good enough to put on a far better performance than, than what happened last night and it should be enough to progress. And when I looked at the lineup, I didn't, like, I wasn't worried. I didn't think, oh, where's, for example, Shinny? I thought against Hart, Shinny was dead on his feet, um, didn't have a good game, looked absolutely knackered. And can't, I don't think he's played much football down in England, so short of match fitness. And recently I've sort of called for. Like, I would have liked to see Duke through the middle because he makes such an impact. Miofsky's obviously been up and down. And against Rangers also, I know we lost, but we were actually quite good. In With hindsight, yeah, maybe we should be playing our absolute best eleven. But at the same time, it's a long season. Games have come thick and fast since the World Cup. You have to rotate sometimes. And, I mean, against a team who barely, you know, as uh, Richard said, got a one street to its name. If you can't rotate against a team of that level, then when can you? And the players that have come in should be good enough. The one thing I would say is throwing in someone like Mislovic for his debut um, is a bizarre choice. Um, and some of the subs later are also quite bizarre. But for the most part, it's a good enough team to win. It has to be. Wouldn't you also expect some rotation off the back of a 5-0 defeat? Not rotation, changes. Um, mm. wouldn't, you, wouldn't you expect there to be a reaction to that? It's all very well saying that you know a certain eleven is what you know the fans believe is the best is the best side. But right now, with the squad we have, none of our options seem like great ones. There are question marks over virtually every person in that squad, and of course it remains a crucially comically imbalanced one as well. There's definitely question marks over what happened once the game unfolded. But in terms of the starting eleven, I don't really have any any huge concern over that. Earlier on in the game, earlier in the game, Ryan Duncan was really lively. Um, you know, I've said on here before, Richard, that I want to see, I'd like to see lots of him. He was probably the only, only kind of bright spark that came out of the game. But he even, he even then drifted out of the game as well. The problem, I suppose, the problem I, I felt you have is Darvel looked more up for the task. They looked more up for the fight, and of course, they're going to be. You know, this is. This is a it's a massive it was a massive ask for them it's a massive scalp. Um, they had they had nothing to lose there and everything everything to win. That's what we said when we did the podcast last week. For so many of our team, for them to be, is it naivety for the, the from from our team that we just seem to not take the the battle to them at all? <laughs> I think the subtitle of this podcast uh, should be taking nothing away from Darville because um, throughout the 90 minutes they, they absolutely outfought us um, across the pitch in, in all areas really and particularly in that midfield. Now, obviously it was a 4-2-3-1 and it seems that he's kind of going for the double pivot sort of or maybe it's just become that because you end up with Clarkson being forced deeper and deeper to try and get the ball because if, if Ramadani is playing just as a single pivot and he's been singularly unable to actually progress us up the park and offer, you know, offer the simple lines to his centre halves to get the ball in the first place, or indeed move it on simply to more 
attacking players in the middle of the pitch or out wide. There was some joy early on from both of them, from Ramadani and Clarkson getting it out wide to Duncan, who found a good deal of space. Uh, for some reason, Matty Kennedy on the other side wasn't able to find anything like the same amount of space. And yeah, opening 10 minutes, uh, it looked encouraging for Ryan down that side. One end to the side netting, um, one where you couldn't get the curl across the goal. Question marks perhaps over whether he took the right options. Um, but yeah, the first 10-15 minutes were looking okay. But there were some worrying signs in midfield. Then for the goal we conceded, again, it's a question of us not winning those individual battles, not being strong enough, either in the challenge or um, when you've got your when you've got a, def- a striker win as a defender, you've got a striker backing into you. You know what, what are you going to do to prevent the shot coming away? What are you going to do to keep them further away from goal? Uh, and, and we didn't stand up, up to that challenge, and we've not been standing up to that challenge all season. The goal we lost last night and the way we started that uh, game and played for most of that game was really just a microcosm of our season so far. Yeah, Lewis, I mean, Richards kind of basically hits the nail on the head there. I mean, you know, the goals we've been losing this season have been bad. To lose that type of goals against a team like Darville, it's unforgivable, isn't it? We are so soft, so pathetically soft and it was really shown last night against a team of that standard like against Hearts as well the other day the goals I don't know why but nobody is tight to anyone ever the striker there's always like one or two yards at least from the defender and it's just amateur stuff like amateur level on a Saturday you'd be screaming at each other for that sort of defending and you saw the goal on um, yesterday Ramadani gets done so easy, just standing on his flat feet. And then it goes to the back post. In fairness to Coulson, a good header. But then from there, he just stands still, doesn't get out. And then Clarkson, the same, doesn't get out quick enough. And just, like, there shouldn't be enough time for a striker to turn in their own, like, in front of the goalkeeper and, and shoot like that. It's, and we mentioned the midfield before, the, the same, it got worse as the game went on. I mean, I said... At the start, I wasn't worried about the lineup, but as the game went on, it got more and more evident how soft and poor that centre of midfield were. Like Clarkson's shown in the past, obviously he's technically great and he's shown that with some of his goals, but when he's not scoring screamers, he's virtually anonymous. He's, he just goes missing. He cannot win a tackle. He never does win a tackle. I found it remarkable the amount of 50-50s that went just... It, was just, it just ends up 60-40s or 70-30s. Like legs just dangling, nobody was putting anything in, and it's just it. You find it hard to explain or like understand how that can happen. And to me, that's what the biggest worry is that we're so soft and we don't look like we're trying to be anything more than we can be. Yeah, it, as much as I didn't have any huge concerns over the starting lineup, I I, I think again on a night like last night opting to go with the, the sort of more technical midfielder rather than Shinny. Maybe Shinny wasn't fit to start. We'll come on to Graham Shinny later. But the fact, again, that the squad is so imbalanced that we haven't got anyone else like that. And, you know, I, I, a lot of people see Ramadani as this tough tackling midfielder, but I, I'm just not seeing it, and I didn't see it last night. So all, all evening, basically... There was an overload in the middle. It was three versus two to start with. But there was also an attitude problem. As for Myslovic, uh, he might as well have not have been on the park. Um, and obviously, um, 
making no judgment on him based on either that or the 20 minutes he got at Tynecastle. But um, you do want and hope that players which we're looking to spend a bit of money on in the summer can come in and make an impact on a game, particularly against uh, a team many levels below us. Although clearly they didn't play as low as a six-tier team. I said in the lead-up that they'd probably be as good as the Annan team that we struggled with. Uh, back in September, August, and yeah, I think that's probably about right. They're probably as, as good as any of the, the sides in the uh, bottom two tiers of the professional leagues, to be honest with you. And um, we, we didn't heed the warnings that we'd had that night at Annan, taking extra time to get through that. And it was a very similar sloppy performance, except we didn't get the goal to go ahead. Darville got something to hang on to early on. And, I mean, was what 60 minutes until our first shot on target perhaps um someone can correct me obviously i mean i was at the game maybe we maybe we got one in the first half that i've forgotten about but <laughs> I, it had the feel people said this before and i've always kind of i didn't get to the stanley smear game in 95 i couldn't get tickets funnily enough but i've always kind of had a weird it would have been wonder what it would have been like to be there kind of scenario. Well, I found out last night, and it was like being in a slow motion car crash. You're witnessing the sort of horrors unfold in front of you. You're powerless really to do anything about it, but it's taken 95 minutes to reach the inevitable conclusion. It, from very early on in that game, we were in huge, huge trouble, and nothing that was happening on the sideline was able to change the flow of that game, and that's the real worry. I want to actually ask you, Richard. Um, at half time, what was the what was the atmosphere like in the away end? As soon as we went one 0 down, you're getting, you know, a chance. Not from the whole end. Uh, I think that was reserved until full time. But I think there was one particularly pissed up pocket, who were going at it from 15, 20 minutes in, going after Google in particular. Um, but most, of, I think it was shock for for a lot of people because it was quite quiet. Um, I know a huge round of booze at half-time, obviously, but they lasted for as long as the, um, the team took to get off the park, and no more than that. And then you're just turning around and kind of shocked, sort of slightly shocked, stunned, low voices. It was like people who were awake talking to each other at half-time, frankly. Um, so the real actions really came at full-time, and... Um, when Anthony Stewart came to, to applaud the away fans and Joe Lewis came to applaud the away fans, which um, which is inevitable, but I suppose that's why most of the rest of the team didn't bother the arses to do that. Richard mentioned Graeme Shinney earlier on, Lewis. Why didn't he make it onto the pitch at all? It was clearly clearly something we were lacking in. Um, you know, some people like to think that maybe Ross McCrory is kind of the kind of guy who can maybe have a bit of bite and I don't know, maybe be a bit aggressive when he needs to be. Um, that's you no, know, that's a discussion probably for another day. Um, but Shinny's that only the only one that gives you that type of energy. Now, we've not heard anything post match about whether he's carrying an injury or whether you know there's any kind of issues there. Um, obviously, you no, know, you know, there's been um, there's been WhatsApp screenshots going around all the uh, with rumours about stuff, um, which you know I'm not going to give any party to on here. Um, but. No, when you when you go you go behind so early, we're clearly you know struggling to get find our way into the game. Why doesn't the manager put him on? I mean, I have to say when when the lineup was released and he wasn't playing, I wasn't concerned mainly because, like I mentioned earlier, I thought he looked real dead in his feet against Hearts, absolutely knackered, didn't have a good game. Um, 
And if he's going to be rested, then why not against a team as shite as this? But yeah, for, for, not, for him to be on the bench signifies that he's fit to play, or fit at least to play a part. And it's he, and we mentioned the midfield earlier. We're crying out for a great machinery. And to be honest, we have all season. His drive and determination and leadership, there's zero leadership on that park. Like, disgustingly little. It's, it, it's pathetic. So when I was watching, I didn't think although something must have gone on or like Goodwin's played some sort of game or something. I just presumed he's been rested and Goodwin had faith for some reason in the players he had out. Whether something's gone on or whether maybe, maybe he's just not fit. He had a knock, don't know. Um, but no doubt we're crying out for him. And McCrory, he's got a bit of the faux hardman about him, I think. He's, he talks a lot and he puts in a tackle but it's all a bit feels a bit half-hearted to be honest and especially if he's at right back anyway he, he does provide drive and he does provide a bit of bite and that's why he needs to be in centre midfield if he's going to be anywhere to be honest he can't do it from right back um, and he's hopeless as centre back as a defender so yeah I, d- I don't know what's going on with Shinny I, I, I hope and presume he's back in the lineup soon and I hope we keep him on um, after his loan spell because he is a player we desperately need I think just honestly, it felt like a bizarre power play last night to not turn to him at halftime when substitutions were made. Who did they bring on at halftime? They, they, they brought on Vicente Bazan um, and Miofsky. And Miofsky at halftime. Miofsky, you can totally understand. Uh, Bazan, absolutely, sort of guy flicks and tricks if a, if a team is sitting really deep. You know, maybe, but in terms of character, in terms of the battle you were clearly in, is he the right man for that? Um, I, I just find it increasingly bizarre and the longer it went on not to turn to him to get that bite and to get that aggression and to try and level out that battle in the middle of the park just stranger and stranger and stranger and it just did feel like the sort of bizarre power play that we saw when Goodwin first came in the door and he had with Considine as others have pointed out on our feed last night either he was fit to contribute off the bench or he's not fit enough at all to even make the bench uh, just Crazy, not calling on calling on him. Absolutely crazy. But surely, surely Goodwin isn't that stubborn, is he? To it just like his job's on the line, surely, and he know he know he knows that. How what? It just seems bizarre to me if he, if he's doing yeah some weird behind the scenes game playing for that. I mean, you might be right, but I mean that's some risky. Just the, the impression I got last night that yeah. it just so. Looked so lost in the middle of that park, and that that's where a lot of our issues were stemming from. The fact that we we just weren't winning that all night. At various points in the park, we weren't winning that battle across the pitch. But as the game went on, we were seeing more of the ball, but we're still still struggling to get a real foothold in midfield. And you know, you can throw on strikers as much as you like, but if you can't yeah. get the ball in the first place, then you, then you're struggling. And I, don't, I, I didn't feel at any point that we had that solid control of the football in order to launch a platform to get back into the game. I kind of agree with you that it's, it's, it's kind of intuitive to, to think that a manager wouldn't do that, that wouldn't be that, surely he wouldn't be that stubborn and that arrogant. But, you know, what are the traits that we've seen from him in the 11 months he's been in charge, Lewis? Wouldn't you say that stubborn and arrogant are two of them? Yeah, yeah, no, you're right about that. And... Is um, certainly right about mentioning Constant as well. That was his first major error when he came in. He completely 
dropped the balls on that, and he's yeah he's paid for it. Well, well, he's, well no, he's not. He's still somehow in post, but. But I, I think there's a there's a wider issue um, about Jim Goodwin's inability to change the flow of a game. Um, you know, we, we've seen repeatedly this season leads being squandered. I mean, 17 points. I think it currently stands at. Um, that we've lost from, from winning positions and we haven't won any from losing positions. Um, defeats have become absolute car crashes, such as the one at Tanadice or the one um, five days ago, um, six days ago at uh, Tynecastle, bizarrely, because it seems like a million years ago. Uh, a 5-0 defeat at Tynecastle, the sort of result which would ordinarily be reasoning enough for you know protests outside Pataudry. Um Basically, we're going to have as a footnote on this podcast because of what happened last night. And I've not seen any evidence that he's been able to really change the flow of the game. There's been games that we've won late on after drawing. There's a couple of examples of that, St. Johnston and Hearts. They've not come about, though, from like changing the philosophy or changing the, the focus of the way we do things. They've come about just perseverance through plan A. Obviously, there's been a, a big switch in formation during the course of the season, and now a switch back. But there's not really been a great deal of tactical flexibility in games or to really change the pattern or flow of things. And it was a case again last night. And sometimes that's down to the, the players on the pitch. And we've spoken about a lack of leadership, and that's absolutely glaring. So when you have a leader, such as Graham Shinney, again, the reasons for not bringing him on at the very least last night well, they remain very opaque at this point because, of course, he wasn't asked about that last night. Um, there were clearly bigger fish to fry. Yeah, that's something that probably never, never really get an answer to. Um, maybe in eighteen months, two years' time, when Goodwin does um, does his tell-all interview with Michael Grant in the Times or something, you know, maybe that'll get put to him. But, but he's not, he's not going. You know, he avoided it last night. You know, he tried to say the right things. You know, he tried to keep it on Darvel, basically to kind of, I suppose, probably keep trying to keep the wolves from his door. He's not going to. He isn't going to manage to do that, Richard. How long can he realistically last as Aberdeen manager? I mean, we're recording this, for the record, we're recording this on the Tuesday night. It's nine o'clock right now. There's been no word all day, not a peak from the club in terms of statements regarding the game last night. He's done. He, he's done. It doesn't matter whether Dave Cormack makes a decision now or Dave Cormack eventually makes a decision in four weeks' time. He's done. I've never seen a support quite as unanimous about um, the future of the manager. Uh, as I've seen over the last 24 hours. He is absolutely done as Aberdeen manager. There is no route back, none. What he's thinking, I don't know. I mean, obviously it's expensive to change manager. That's a consideration, clearly. And the more he has to keep chopping and changing, the more people question the other aspects of the club and the decision-making process. Maybe he's looking at the Robbie Nielsen example. They obviously suffered a defeat to Brewer Rangers in 2021. However, there's no doubt in my mind that had fans been allowed in the stadium at that point, Robbie Nielsen wouldn't have lasted as Hearts manager then as well, because that's the aspect that you have to consider. What is, if you thought that full-time last night in Darville was poisonous, what's it going to be like at Easter Road from minute one? And yes, we can all try and back the team whilst the match is going on, and I hope that is the case, whatever the managerial situation. But there's going to be banners, there's going to be chants, and... 
it's not going to change. A win there isn't going to change. And you know what? We're not going to win there. It's six successive away defeats. This is cast in stone. This is Jim Goodwin's team. This is how we play under him. We will lose on Saturday. It will be like when McGee didn't get sacked in 2011, 2010, 2010, after the 9-0. Four weeks later, four more defeats. We are just marking time. Yeah, I, I agree. He, he has to, I'm amazed he's not gone today. Absolutely amazed. I, I have to be honest, after the Hearts game, I, I consider myself quite a patient fan. I don't like the whole second philosophy that's in football nowadays. And given... It, you have to... Well, we don't have to remember anymore, but <laughs> prior to Darville, you look back before the World Cup and the majority of the fans were fairly, um, you know, fairly content. There was a lot of excitement... Jim Goodwin, sexy dons, blah blah blah, scoring a lot of goals. And since the I don't think I don't think you can underestimate the confidence that the team must have, um, the confidence drop that the team must have had after the Celtic and Rangers games when we came back. Um, but even after the Hearts game, I thought, you know, just maybe he has a little bit more time. We can get a new players in the window and he can survive. But after the after the game yesterday, he just he has to go. A club as big as Aberdeen cannot accept a defeat to a team like that in a level they are and for the manager to keep his job. And the longer it goes, the more ridiculous it gets. It's just delaying the inevitable and it's just pointless. I don't understand. Cormac obviously has to dip into his pockets again. Regrettably, he's not going to want to do it, but it has to be done. And there's no point delaying at all. It'll be toxic against Hibs. If he somehow manages to survive after that, it's going to be horrendous. The I think it's Wednesday after, but... St Mirren at home, I think it is. He just he has to go now, ASAP. Yeah, if the, if the thinking is that oh we might get through a week or two, things might die down. Some results are so overwhelming, they become the narrative, not just for days but for weeks, months. Yeah. We'll be talking about last night's. Well, I won't be. I'll be dead. But Aberdeen fans will be talking about last night's result in a hundred years' time. <laughs> That's how bad last night was even after we lost 5-0 at Tencastle, a horrendous result I had no thoughts about sacking him, obviously there's a lot of stuff online because there's always a lot of stuff online at the first sign of a bad result but last night was so so seismic I, 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 honestly I can't, can't really find the words for <laughs> the scale of last night's humiliation and it's it's like when John Barnes lost to Callie Thistle. Again, of course, any serious club is going to sack the manager at that point. And this is the choice I think Cormac has to make. Are we a serious club or are we purely just his plaything? I mean, Lewis, Richard, Richard mentions it's there. Um, the atmosphere is obviously going to be, you know, if somehow he makes it a couple more games, the atmosphere is going to get out of control. There's no way this is this is going to this is going to go away. And I know there's there's nothing he can do to win it back. Playing squad is still this playing squad. No, there's obviously going to be. You know, it'll probably be. But if 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 when he's gotten rid of it, it'll be Barry Robson that takes over. I imagine. Yeah, until I mean, until I whoever is sorry until whoever is no whoever comes in is appointed you know which will well, no, I would I imagine just, it'll can be can I just jump in there because yeah. there's a name which I'm staggered hasn't been on the the early bookmaker lists and it's um it's a man who got to the final interview stage when Stephen Glass was appointed and we can have our own um, discussions about 
whether there was ever any chance of that being anyone else other than Stephen Glass. But it's Danny Cowley, who's currently out of work, just been sacked by Portsmouth. Clearly his stock now is not as high as it was back then. He's had a couple of failures, but you know there will be options that will appeal who are available right now. Clearly, if we want to take our time, if we want to do something more ambitious and we want to try and get hold of someone who might be under contract right now and might become available in the summer and buyer options are perfectly reasonable choice but to, to suggest that just because in the, the rather tiresome Scottish market there's no attractive proposition that we don't make a move now or we don't make a full-time move now I think that's wrong. The longer it goes the, the less sense it makes we've got a week for the transfer window just like he, he simply cannot survive this and he will not survive it, like we've already said. But why delay? It makes zero sense to me whatsoever. You need a new man. Well, you need anyone else in. There's nothing has told us that we're going to go to Hibs and get a result away from home. There's, yeah, like you said earlier, Richard, there's basically no chance of that. Why even persist until then if that's what they're looking like they might do? It, it just makes no sense. But, yeah, overall, generally speaking, I completely agree with you, Lewis. I, 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 as I say, even after the 5-0, I wasn't looking for heads to roll. It was a horrendous result, and I'd hoped it would be taken as a bit of a wake-up call. And it was one of those ridiculous games where, you know, we actually looked okay box-to-box. Box. Yeah. Um, I think the, if we'd scored, if we'd, that disallowed goal had been given towards the end we would have outscored them an XG which is obviously meaningless but I think it gives some indication of how the flow of the game went uh, and we know we're very weak at the back that coupled with times when we stop scoring that's a recipe for disaster obviously but uh, as I say last night so so big so so massive for this club um, it has happened before but the last time it happened when we lost our non-league team 1905 1905. That's the sort of level of history we're dealing with here. You look down those list of great Scottish Cup upsets. So you know the vast majority of them are league clubs to league clubs. Some of them are even clubs in the same league. Like on that list, there's a list I read earlier, which was Hamilton winning at Ibrox. It was a shock, sure, but they were in the same league. Whereas now you're looking at a team five levels below, and again. Spoken about how for Darville that's a slightly false position. The backing they've got, the players they've got available, I'm sure they would hold their own in League One, League Two of the, the professional leagues. And whilst we have a pyramid system and that's good, it's still restricting the flow upwards. Uh, this this looks like a place maybe Fraser were knocking out Dundee in 1959 or 1960. And Berwick, although they were a league team, uh, beating Rangers in 67. I think those are your two competitors in the history of the Scottish Cup for a result such as last night. Uh, this is what happened to other clubs. It didn't happen to us. The joy and the amusement we got from Hearts losing Borough that night. It's, and I suppose everything comes around to hit you in the arse eventually. But I'd rather not have been there when it happened. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Is that the, no, as a supporter, one of the things, that Richard, obviously, that, that hurts... Is the fact is no the club is the club has been reduced to a national laughing stock today, 
Um, if you've had the radio on, talk talk sport. I've had talk sport for fuck's sake. I've been talking about Scottish football. This is the only time that we'll get mentioned on talk sport this season. It's the only yeah. time the Guardian will ever have us. Uh, it's the only time that Six Music News will ever have us on. Yeah, Six Music. What was that? I was <laughs> Six Music today, and they they were talking about. So I mean, no, like this is as you say, this is something that happens. No, happens to other clubs. You know, this is this will be this this will not be forgotten. This is as as you no know, when, when we've laughed about. You know, until Hibs won the Scottish Cup after a hundred, hundred and however many years it was. You know, now we're laughing at Dundee not having won it for for God knows how long. 30, it's never thirty-three years now. That you have to be over forty to remember us winning a Scottish Cup. Yeah, I grew up, and it's what we did at the end of the season. We went hand and won the Scottish Cup. That's just what we did. The only solace we always, always, um, will always have is that we did not let our club die. Exactly. Yeah. And one of the things that somebody, somebody, it was actually somebody at work mentioned it to me today is like, you no, know, just this is the sort of thing that's remembered, not just in Scotland. Um, you know, it's rem- it will be remembered. And no, no, English, English, English supporters are going to remember this. You no, know, it's still a thing that if you remember when Hereford beat Newcastle in like nineteen seventy one or something, you no, know, people are still talking about that now. The last night's result doesn't go away. You know, there's there's no washing away the shame of it. Um, it it's on the record, and it's it can't it can't be. It can't be gotten rid of. Yeah, it um, echoes. It echoes for the ages. L- l- like Stenhouse Muir did. And yeah. he can, it was only a second game in charge, so he didn't really get the blame for that. But if it had been someone who was a year into the job, you can guarantee it would have had the same eventual outcome that's going to befall um, Jim Goodwin. No, I was going to say, I can only imagine the delays that they're working out some sort of compensation and what the, what the money side of it is going to be. And in addition to if there's going to be other heads that are rolling and who it's going to be or some sort of restructure or what, because, well, yeah, we've already said it. I mean, you just cannot survive it. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting you talk about structure because, as I said earlier, the longer this goes on and um, the more often they have to keep changing manager as well, the more the focus is on the structure and uh, the process, to use a favourite Dave word. And obviously we've got a... Uh, head of football operations but we don't really have a true sporting director structure now that would be when the head coach reports into the director of football sporting director or whatever you want to call it we clearly don't have that right now clearly we have a situation where the head coach stroke manager is reporting directly to Dave Cormack who has the authority and the wherewithal hire or fire him and Dave has um, the money to pay the piper. He's going to call the tune. So that's probably just how we have to like it or lump it. But um, this sort of hybrid we've ended up with, where, I mean, we don't have a CEO right now. We've got a chairman and owner acting as a CEO and manager reporting into him. It sets up conflicts of interest all over the place. Um, we spoke to... Um, I'll say a German football expert, but you know exactly who I spoke to. Um, And he couldn't think of any examples of such a situation throughout German football. The lines are so much more clearly demarcated in that the sporting director is given the authority to hire and fire the manager and to implement that club vision and club strategy throughout the club. So... You've got a situation where Gunn, who takes a lot of stick, but I don't think he actually has the authority or the um, tools in his bag 
to be given the sort of stick that he is getting right now. But again, this is a lot of this is conjecture because we don't know the exact the exact structure, the exact reporting lines, um, and who has the authority here. Um, I think we have to say about the German model as well is that um, obviously the the ownership model there that applies in Germany it probably helps limit owner interference as well to some degree because you've got the 50 plus one rule and I, I say interference because I think we almost do have to see this as interference interference on behalf of the club's owner I mean there's no question that Dave's had a stellar and profitable career but success in one area software that doesn't necessarily mean that you'll be successful in another we don't have a ceo right now it seems like a, a bit of a a bit of a mess to have the owner acting as that i think that that's if we are talking about restructuring not that this should impact on whether or not jim goodwin remains in a job but if we are talking about restructuring i think it's important that um, we have someone in that role hopefully someone experienced, um, someone who is able to move us forward. I, I don't think it's any coincidence that the sort of most stable part of uh, Stuart Milne's reign was really when he had Duncan Fraser as CEO, because in the early part we went through, um, well, we went through Dave Cormack himself, and we went through Gordon Bennett, um, and then there was Keith Wyness, and they were all in and out in a couple of years, and, and we didn't really have that stability. Then we kind of shifted model. Willie Miller was brought in as his uh, meat bag deflection tool. Um, went okay for a little while and then went very, very badly wrong and Willie was dispensed with. But yeah, the most solid period during Millen's reign was when you had Fraser in there as CEO. You go from the, from the um, Brown reign into McInnes. You get the um, the wages under control because obviously Duncan Fraser's background in accounting, so that there is that rigidity. You have got someone who, who, again, has clearly been given the authority to have those conversations and to keep hold of the wage structure. Because again, right now we are overspending what we bring in, and whilst Dave's covering that and uh, all power to him in his pocket, it's not a sustainable situation, and uh, it's not a situation I'm particularly comfortable with either. No, and um, you're right to mention that. I mean, this is why Lewis, we've, 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 Rich and I have both spoken on episodes of the podcast this season, particularly um, about the importance of of you no know, achieving European football. Um, never, never mind becoming a top 100 challenger club, um, which was you no know, was was um, was Dave Cormack's you know aim. This club needs European football now, or you know, but Dave Cormack's going to have to dip. He's going to have to dip into his pocket next season if we don't get there. We're sitting fifth at the moment. God knows where we'll be if you know, the way things are going at the moment. Um, so the, 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 Richard's right there. It's a, it is a worry that we've got, well, well, we have a chairman who is willing to spend money, that we're, we're, we're having to look at him to make up you know, these shortfalls. Yeah, it's, um, it's quite unbelievable that the way the European places and the coefficients have gone, that it's been these two years that we've well and truly fucked it, for a better word. Seeing Hearts on the group stages with a rubbish team, and it's just, it's beyond depressing. And who knows if we can salvage it back to get Europe this season, but I mean, 
I don't know, going back to, I was talking earlier to someone else that Cormac is a, I think he means well and he's, to his credit, invested a lot of money and he's got other people to invest money as well and he's got ambition, he's delivered on certain things. Um, but, and I think the ceiling is higher with Cormac than it was for Milne. But there's fundamental flaws there that he really needs to sort out and get under control before the the wheels well and truly fall off. And maybe, hopefully, last night and this week is a perhaps a wake up call that he needs he needs more experience and help and support around him. I, I know he appointed Willie Garner, but I mean, I don't. I mean, I don't know, someone like that. I don't, I don't know if he's doing anything really, is he? Um, you need someone. You need you someone back in an executive to... position. I mean, yeah, exactly. Willie Garner's so... appointment as a, as a non-executive director, and that's an entirely different kettle of fish from from someone in an executive position. And as it stands, we don't have a CEO. We've got Dave Cormack basically doing that role. Yeah, you need someone day to day in there running the operations, it... which he cannot do. Yeah, and I, well, I believe it should be someone divorced from the actual owner. Because I, I, I think then you take some of the emotion out of the decisions, which is going to happen if it's your money on the line, undeniably. And I do think, I do think we need to commit fully to to the sporting director setup, and, and by that I mean take away some of the misguiding, misguiding uh, adherence to kind of almost old British style setups so of the manager reporting directly into the owner. I, I, I think we have to become this modern club rather than try and retain vestiges of it and maybe that was something which Goodwin insisted upon as part of the negotiations because you know we weren't in a strong position then um, you know he could have set up set up things exactly as he wanted them uh, wanted them to be if we go for someone under contract again maybe we'll have to compromise again on where we actually want to get to with our structure it's almost like he has, he has to start all over again. Like he got rid of McInnes and remember the whole football strategy and everything was changing, director of football, a manager wanted to play a certain way and it was going to go through all the youth teams. And then Glass, as anybody could have guessed, was a disaster. He didn't have the experience necessary, didn't work. Goodwin comes in, a totally different type of manager, has never been known for expansive football or, you know, everything that we said we were going to do after after punting McGuinness, McInnes. And now it's like we're back to square one again. The The structure isn't working. We don't have this fluidity throughout the club. There's no pathway that we wanted. It's, which it just feels like we're back to square one. Whether he's going to change it or whether he's going to continue, who knows, but it's, it's rather worrying. <laughs> Uh, yes, shall we refresh ourselves um, with the aims from that infamous uh, sporting strategy document to inspire our supporters by winning through an exciting brand of football with intensity, pace and homegrown talent at its core to become a top UEFA 100 club. Um, yeah, you wouldn't say that we're really hitting the mark with many of those. Um, the football home has been... Um, more exciting and certainly more goals than we've been used to seeing for a couple of years, absolutely. Um, intensity, pace, pace, yeah, we've got some pacey players in the team, I'm not sure it's always directed correctly. Intensity, 
suggests kind of elements of high press. We're not really doing that. The homegrown talent thing is interesting because obviously these last two managers are the first ones who've uh, had that remit directly on their um, on their KPI, so to speak, and they're the ones who have not uh, managed to put out starting 11s, and in Goodwin's case, it's quite a lot of starting 11s without any uh, homegrown player in them. Um, and again, inevitably, that was a that was just a quirk that had built up over a number of years. Um, and it's we're seeing on the fringes, we're seeing Ryan Duncan obviously get some minutes and some of the other youngsters see some action. Um, but we haven't half gone for it in terms of imports this uh, this season, have we? And clearly it was going to take some time to bed in, to gel, but we're in January now. And you don't get that long in this league. You don't get that long in modern football to for things to work or not work. You have to get things up and running quickly. Um, in some in some respects, it might have been better if he'd struggled more in the first few weeks of the season and then come on to a game. There might have been a bit more tolerance of, uh, as to what's happened lately. But to me, it's all on last night. It's, it it's all falls apart, the Goodwin rain on last night. Yeah, the warning signs were there before, but for me, they weren't. They didn't amount to... Um, enough to merit a sacking last night on its own absolutely is so Lewis with that now I'm not going to put you under pressure and say who should we replace him with um, Richard's already meant, already meant, suggested or mentioned the name of Danny Cowley now you're you're a man of the world you know you'll have seen you'll have had plenty of whatsapps where people have thrown a dart at a European map and came up with oh I don't know the Lillestrøm manager or something um so rather than asking you, putting you on the spot and asking you for asking you for a name, um, what's the most ridiculous suggestion you've you've heard in the last twenty four hours for the next upper league manager? Carl, oh, I've got a good one actually here. Um, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer, <laughs> as if he's just managed the biggest club in the world for three years and would like a step down to Aberdeen. Yeah, but I mean, I, I, to be serious, I have no idea. I really, I think Cormac, obviously Glass was an import, but you know, like uh, it wasn't unknown. Obviously, Goodwin, he's obviously been from the Scottish leagues. You just feel like Cormac is going to go abroad now, because what else is he going to do? He's he's got to roll the dice, or he's going to think he has to roll the dice. That and of course, there's no obvious Scottish candidates. I'm always unsure about English people. <laughs> not English people in general <laughs> but <laughs> coming up from the English football you know you look at Lee Johnson at Hibs and Hibs have done it a few times with different managers it just never seems to work and I think there's some but at the same time the foreign a lot of fans I think think oh a foreign will, you know they won't be scared of Celtic or Rangers they'll, they'll you know they're fresh to the league and they can beat anyone and have confidence about everyone but reality is I've not a clue <laughs> I don't think anybody has a clue but at the end of the day, it also doesn't matter because it doesn't change the fact that Goodwin has to go. Um, whether it's an interim, where it's, I don't know who, but um, it cannot, it can't be, it can't be Goodwin. I don't know who it's going to be. <laughs> but yeah, the thing is there, that's, 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 that's something we heard, we've heard before, isn't it, Richard? That, you know, it was the right thing to get rid of the manager. It doesn't matter who it was that replaced him. Of course it matters who replaces him, but the thing is, any semi-competently run football club, which obviously uh, brings question marks over whether this would apply to Aberdeen, 
will have a shortlist on the go at all times. You know, we put the spotlight back on Stephen Gunn's position, and again, we don't know fully what his roles and responsibilities are, but it should be a sporting director's role, certainly, to have at all times an updated list of who is going to step in should your manager go for any reason, whether that be catastrophic cup defeat to non-league team or because he gets poached by a bigger side. That should always be on the go. It should always be getting updated. I mean, it's like almost your risk register at work. You ignore it at your peril. And again, it's not up to us as fans to decide who the next manager is or to worry about the lack of candidates that we see uh, suitable candidates that we see on these ridiculous bookie lists. It's up to the club being run in a competent manner to make sure that any transition, and again, one of the upsides to this structure should be that replacing your head coach gets somewhat easier because you're looking for someone with the same values, with the, with the same skill sets that you were looking for last time. So the, if those... Um, skill sets haven't changed and if Danny Cowley made the interview uh, made the interviews last time why wouldn't he be a candidate this time again clearly sometimes the parameters do shift and last time every new hire is always a reaction to a last manager and last time we prioritized someone with more SPFL experience and this time you're absolutely right Lewis I think and we've certainly seen um, some of the um, some of the more popular Twitter pages, uh, so not ours, um, talk about, oh, it must be a foreign manager. I don't think it has to be a foreign manager, but again, every single time you'll find the next manager is a reaction to the failings of a last manager. One name I have had um, suggested to me a few times today from various people is um, Neil Lennon, which gives me the absolute fear, not only because I cannot abide him, but also because I don't think it's beyond the realms of possibility someone of that nature who can you know aggressive and can light a firework up certain people's arse like it but yeah no that would not be nice i mean yeah that would be a, that would be a disaster richard waiting to happen it's a man that falls out with everybody um you know basically you no know, likes his likes his early morning pints likes you no know, likes likes his likes the high likes the the social life um in the goldfish bowl at Aberdeen, that's just a recipe recipe for disaster. Lads, I'm depressed enough already. You don't have to take it any further. You really don't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a fair that's a fair point. Let's not, let's not depress depress ourselves anymore. Um, so as it stands, Jim Goodwin is still the Aberdeen manager. Um, don't think that'll be for very long, but. Um, Interesting times ahead for over the next few days. We obviously have a match coming up on Saturday against Hibs, as Richard mentioned, um, which will be interesting. So with that being said, I just want to thank Lewis for coming back on the podcast. Lewis, I'm sorry it couldn't have been on a, on a happier a happier note, but um, do you feel any better having, having got out of your system? I, I've actually quite enjoyed having a wee rant. Yeah, I, I think looking back, um, the last time I was on was the end of Glasses Rain as well, so... Thank you for that. And I also got just just mentioned, I feel like we're doing a disservice to the fans. I don't think we've even mentioned Anthony Stewart's name. Um, 
I don't know what else to say other than the fact he needs to be mentioned for uh, just wow um, just yeah yeah no, I don't know what else to say move on incredible do you, are you talking specifically about his performances or about the interview last night or uh, a combination um, as I said earlier I'm, I feel like I'm a very patient fan and I always give new players and new managers a time to bed in and you know there's confidence there's new players around them it takes it's not easy but the way and just the last week or so is just um, he's lost me the way he conducts himself he has this bizarre strut and air of arrogance which is so unbelievably unfounded for the way he's performed since he's arrived and like some of the things it's, it's just some of the things he comes out with in such a such a like a la- lackadaisical tone it's unbelievable and yeah wow I just yeah I don't know <laughs> I just had to say it because he, he's not he's gone unmentioned somehow no and, that's uh, fine I think we'd gone in two-footed on Stuart yeah. after the cup semi-final with um for obvious reasons yeah so um yeah I, it would just feel like kicking a dog when it's down um if we'd if we'd hit him hard again um you know I think some of the the failings last night were predominantly elsewhere on the pitch of course mm-hmm. we, we lost to go to Darville and that probably shouldn't happen but uh, if you look at how things have gone it was almost inevitably going to happen uh, failing to score against them failing to get control of that tie were to me bigger failings last night yeah uh, yeah absolutely were it's just but overall absolutely he's uh, again you but you look around that squad and a lot of excitement about some players but they would only be, I think, qualified successes right now, even the best of them. And Coulson. I say, yeah, let's have a rant for you. <laughs> you've enjoyed going in on him on Twitter, so I want to, yeah, I want I just, to capture a bit of that. I, I don't think I've ever hated such a decent player, if that makes any sense. Like, he, he's clearly quite a talented player, but to me, he just looks like he doesn't give a sh- he doesn't care whatsoever. He cannot defend for the life of him. And he the amount of flicks and tricks he does. Like I, I enjoy a winger who takes people out, has the confidence to go and do things, but he's a left back. Like call me old fashioned, but just defend. Just and he's been doing it for so many weeks now. I don't understand how Goodwin, who you remember like watching Goodwin for the last fifteen years, and no nonsense for the most part defensive midfielders how I remember him, how he puts up with the way Coulson and Stewart and conduct themselves on the pitch is unbelievable. I know yeah, uh, Martin just said... All that, yeah. Always that streak about Goodwin that wanted to be the centre of attention. So I don't know if guys like that too, who are with the tricks and the flicks, uh, appeal to him in, in that that regard. You know, you call him no-nonsense. I'm not sure if that was necessarily the case uh, about his playing career. I mean, he would, he would he was absolutely hard as nails, but I don't think he was no-nonsense. I think that was certainly what he tried. He tried to project, though, wasn't it? That that outlook. Yeah, I, I am now thoroughly depressed. Actually, man. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> that's what that's what we're here for, Lewis. So yeah, thanks. Thanks again, Richard. As always, thank you for your service. Uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, and by the way, I'm at Easter Road as well on Saturday. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I'm gonna be there. It's gonna be like the old days. It's gonna be like the uh, the Craig Brown days, where you just go. 
you have a good time with your mates and the football is downer and then you recover afterwards and everything's okay again yeah the, the, the good old days when you know when the that 90 minutes was the worst part of the day yeah and you just barely even cared about the result exactly that's what yeah. Saturday will be even th- even then you know we, we are we have it is Hibs on Saturday this podcast will probably be out be out of date by about 11 o'clock tomorrow morning um, and we'll do one of our hastily rushed debriefs Richard tomorrow night oh, but they, they are they are they're gonna announce it tonight aren't they at like 10 30 in which case yeah, yeah. but um <laughs> but <laughs> until we until we speak to you again with with the debrief tomorrow morning or whatever um it's been a pleasure it's been a pleasure guys and until next time come on you reds